There is a special exhibit in the Museum of the Bible uh, in Washington, D.C. And the centerpiece of this special exhibit is what is called the Slave Bible. I don't know if you've heard about this. It's an under-exhibit that's titled Parts of the Holy Bible Selected for the Use of the Negro Slaves in the British West India Islands. It is this very heavily abridged Bible that was produced in England in 1807, and it was put out by the Society for the Conversion of Negro Slaves for the purpose of teaching them to read so that they could be introduced to Christianity. And it was at a time when uh, the British Empire was powered by millions of enslaved Africans who were forced to work on sugar plantations. So they needed to abridge it down because in order to appease those who were the overseers of these enslaved Africans, uh, they needed to take out anything that would incite a rebellion. So instead of the 66 books of the Bible that we have, they pared it down to just parts of 14 of the books. So you can imagine what they left out, like the freeing of the Hebrew slaves in Exodus. And you can imagine what they kept in, which were those verses that were teaching and encouraging subservience, like Paul's verse in Ephesians 6, 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling in singleness of heart as you obey Christ. So that was left in. So I am wondering... As we come to the book that we are in this morning, we've been moving our way through the Bible uh, this past almost a year. Um, and we are in this little tiny letter that is also a book called Philemon. I'm wondering if that made it into the slave Bible. Because actually Paul is writing to a man, a leader named Philemon, who is a man of means. He, the church is meeting in his house and he owned slaves. We know that he owned slaves because Paul is actually writing to him about a slave who's named Onesimus, who escaped from Philemon and made his way to Paul in prison in Rome. And um, he became a believer. He also became a really important right-hand support, right-hand man support to Paul. So Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon with a very well-crafted appeal for Philemon to receive Onesimus as, quote, more than a slave, as a brother in Christ. So did Philemon make it into the slave Bible? I tried to find out. I couldn't find out. But this little letter has been used both to support slavery and also to condemn it. So see what you think as we read our passage, Philemon, just one chapter, verses 1 to 21, and I'm going to lead us in prayer as we get into God's word. Let's pray. Word of God, speak to us this day and help us to hear you, help us to know you, help us to follow you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Philemon, verses 1 through 21, listen to God's word to you. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, 
to Philemon, our dear friend and coworker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you and my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm appealing to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, that is my own heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. One more thing. Oh, wait, I'm supposed to stop there. <laughs> this is the gift of God's word. So slaveholders lifted up this little letter as evidence that slavery was an institution to be supported. Why? Because Paul dutifully returned the slave Onesimus to Philemon and did not harbor him as a runaway, which was against the law in the Roman Empire. So, evidence that Paul supports the institution of slavery, they said. Did Paul support it? Does the Bible support it? That's actually a very live question because all through scripture, slavery was going on in some form or another, usually because of debt or because of war. And we don't find any effort in scripture to abolish it or to legislate it out of existence. Actually, the Reformation fathers, John Calvin, Martin Luther, said that the gospel did not overturn the established order. And that would include slavery. 
In Paul's day, there were approximately 60 million slaves that powered the Greco-Roman world. They would not have been able to function without these slaves. That was very true for our beginnings, right, as a country, not that many, but we wouldn't have been able to be as prosperous as we were. But it's important to know that slavery then uh, was different than slavery in America. It was not based on race. Uh, slaves were not kidnapped and held as slaves for life. They could be educated, they could be set free, they could have specialized positions, but still they were property and still they were oppressed and still they were yearning to be free. And the Bible has been used again and again to support that oppression as we see in the slave Bible. There's a man named James Pennington who in 1807 was born into slavery in Maryland and at the age of 19, he escaped. He was caught, but he escaped again, and he made his way to a Quaker home. He was completely uneducated um, at the age of 19, but he got educated and became the first black person to attend Yale Divinity School. He was not allowed to be listed as a student. He wasn't allowed to use the library. He, he was forced to sit in the back row of all the classes, but he was ordained as a pastor in the Congregational Church. And he actually performed the wedding ceremony of Frederick Douglass and his fiancee. Pennington puts into words the question that haunted all blacks and victims of slavery. He wrote this. Does the Bible condemn slavery without any regard to circumstances or not? I, for one, desire to know. My repentance, my faith, my hope, my love, my perseverance, all, all, I conceal it not, I repeat it, all turn upon this point. If I am deceived here, if the word of God does sanction slavery, I want another book, another repentance, another faith, and another hope. This is an agonizing question, which really is about the character of God. If the Bible supported the kidnapping of black bodies and the rape of, of black women and the separation of families and the whip and the chain, then he, didn't need it. he needed another book. He needed another faith. Esau Macaulay picks up Pennington's question. Esau Macaulay is the author of a book called Reading While Black. It's about a black approach to scripture, which we're going to discuss at the end of this month. He is a professor of New Testament at Wheaton College. And as he answers Pennington's question, he finds room for hope. First of all, he looks at the whole message of the Bible, beginning with the creation story to the freeing of the slaves. Then he looks at the end of the story in Revelation, where the, the story goes, and says it is clear that God's intention never has been a world with slavery in it. That's kind of his overarching response, but then he focuses on Paul, and he says this about Paul. He's presented to black Christians as the font of all our troubles. I think there's a lot of women would say that too, but he's saying that Paul is the font of all of the troubles of black Christians. Why does he say that? Because of the things that Paul wrote, even last week in Titus. We hear it in 1 Timothy 6, 1 through 3. Let all who are under the yoke of slavery regard their masters as worthy of all honor, 
so that the name of God and the teaching may not be blasphemed. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful to them on the ground that they are members of the church. Rather, they must serve them all the more since those who benefit by their service are believers and beloved. But Macaulay goes on and he says that it's in Philemon that we really see Paul's true colors, his true heart, his theology put into practice, a theology that does not support slavery, but undermines it. That it's in Philemon that we hear Paul, as he said in Galatians 3.28, living out the reality that there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, all are one in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ transforms all human relationships, all social relationships, through his death and resurrection, and Paul weaves this core belief into every line of this letter in Philemon. So let's look at the beginning of the letter. Paul starts out, instead of saying, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, which is the way he starts every other letter, practically, he starts out this way, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And intentionally, throughout the letter, references his imprisonment, his status as a prisoner, three times. The fact that Paul is a prisoner means that his status in society is the status of a criminal, which is the same status as Onesimus, as a runaway slave. So Paul yokes himself to Onesimus in his lowly status. And how is it that Jesus came into the world? In Paul's own writing, in Philippians 2, he writes about how Jesus came into this world as a slave. God meeting us in humility and weakness, that is a continual theme for Paul. Jesus is this model for how we interact with one another, and he takes the lowest place to redefine greatness, to bring us all down to level ground as brothers and sisters. So Paul goes on with that theme talking about how Jesus transforms all social relationships by relating to Onesimus as a father, to a child, very endearing. He presents him to Philemon as a brother, not just in the Lord, but he adds, in the flesh. So Esau Macaulay writes, Paul's rhetoric makes it difficult for Philemon to make much of his status as owner and Onesimus' status as a slave. Paul also uses familial language, calling Philemon his brother. And the point is clear. Oneness in Christ transforms relationships. This idea that slaves and masters are family undermines slavery. Who would enslave a brother or a sister? Jesus turns everything upside down. And so even as Paul's writing this letter, you can tell there's this mood where he's trying not to come across in this kind of authority over or power over, which he could do as an apostle with Philemon. But he wants to move away from this power over approach to what he's asking Philemon to do and would rather do it out of mutual love for one another. I could command you, he writes, to treat Onesimus as you would treat me, but I'd rather appeal to you on the basis of love since you owe me your very life, I could demand this of you. 
but let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ in this transformation that Jesus brings to level ground. It is the love of God in Jesus Christ that changes everything. The whole slave-master dynamic. It is the way of God in Jesus Christ that actually makes slavery untenable. And so this is how Esau Macaulay concludes his response to Pennington's agonizing question about whether the Bible supports slavery. God created a people who could theologically deconstruct slavery. Now we rightly have complaints that it seemed to take some 1800 years before a significant number of Christians came to this conclusion. But we do have to recognize that Christians began to make strong theological cases against slavery as early as the fourth century in a way that would stand out among their non-Christian peers. What is even more interesting is that no society that preceded the 18th century abolitionists contended that slavery itself was fundamentally immoral. The widespread move to abolish slavery is a Christian innovation. It's a Christian innovation. There is no longer slave or free in Christ. Jesus Christ changes everything, all social relationships. You know, some have speculated that maybe Onesimus, because he was a servant in Philemon's house, and remember the church was meeting at Philemon's house, maybe he overheard this gospel and came to the conclusion that this was a freeing word for him and escaped and went to Paul for that very reason, to plead for his freedom. And now Paul joins him in that effort. Because this is where Jesus' death and resurrection takes us. No longer no longer slave or free. So Paul writes this persuasive letter. He's hoping that Philemon will forgive Onesimus, hoping that he will free him, because in Christ they are one, in Christ that they are brothers, also because Paul loves Onesimus, you can hear that throughout. My own heart, he calls him. But Paul, I don't think, is just doing this for Onesimus' sake. I think he's also doing it for Philemon's sake. Because he loves Philemon. And this is important for Philemon's liberation too. Several of us have been participating in a 10-week series through the Presbytery on racial healing. It's taught by Kamal Hassan, a black pastor in Richmond, and a friend of this church. And we're about seven, seven sessions in uh, we've been learning a lot about the history of race in this country, the damage that's been done that we're still living with today. And several times, Kamal has reminded us that we are in this study, most of us are white in this study, not just to be making life better for blacks or people of color. He keeps reminding us that those of us who are white have been just as deformed by the systemic sin of racism as blacks, perhaps more so. Kamal said the terrible effect of oppression and white supremacy is that it gets between us and God. The terrible effect of oppression and white supremacy is that it gets between us and God. We need to be liberated too. 
So Paul writes to Philemon for Onesimus' sake and for Philemon's sake and for the, ch the church's sake. Reminding us that Jesus Christ changes everything. There is no longer slave nor free. We are all one family in him. So what do you think? Do you think Philemon was included in the slave Bible or not? Let's pray. Oh God, how you ached over the misery of your people when they were slaves in Egypt. And how you have acted again and again to liberate us. The Bible is filled with your saving deliverance. And yet we have twisted and compromised your word to support our twisted and compromised ways from one generation to another. Forgive us and heal us, O oh God. We praise you that you emptied and humbled yourself to come into the depths of our sinful world as a lowly slave so that you could heal every cruel way we have diminished and dehumanized one another. Liberate us now, O oh God. Open our eyes and reveal our complicity in that diminishment and lead us into the way of Jesus Christ. Lead us into the resurrection of Jesus Christ, transformed and zealous to embrace our oneness in him. Amen.